At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives, from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, Pursuing Peace in a Cancel Culture, where we'll turn to the Gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about handling conflict. Good morning. Uh, I'm Alex. If I haven't met you yet, I'm also one of the pastors here. I do a lot of different things in and around, but um, I get to talk about a really great topic today, humility. Can anybody raise your hand and show us that you are the most humble person ever? Please leave, Jim. Right, good. Everybody passed the test, right? To be the most humble person, to be the one that walks around the room and says, hey, I have achieved humility, um, you don't really get to say that, right? Because the moment that you say that you're the most humble person, you're, you're prideful, Right? Humility is one of these things, these virtues and attributes and characteristics in the human experience that we just simply can't obtain, right? Have you ever felt like, man, I'm trying to be humble, but it's really hard because people around me are really dumb. You ever felt like that? Or is that just me? Right? Like to be humble means you have to do a lot of different things and it's usually not about you. To have humility in your life, for some, they would view a very humble person as somebody who, you know, just kind of walks with their head down and just simply says like, oh, hi, hi, nice to see you. Yeah, you can do whatever and say whatever you want to me. I'm just, I'm humble and I'm going to allow you to just vent your anger. Or sometimes people think super humble people are, you know, they're just the ones who are like the academic or the poets And they're just, you know, creating muses and they're writing songs about their own humility and what they've learned from their time of humility. Like humility, again, it's one of these virtues that it's so difficult for us to obtain. And it's a virtue that's hard for us to maintain. Because again, the moment you feel like you've arrived at being a humble person, you're no longer humble. So the last few weeks, we've been talking about Jesus becoming man. We've talked about the incarnation. That's the big theological word, the incarnation. Jesus becoming human. Emmanuel, God with us, that he was on the earth, that he walked with us, that Jesus was the embodiment of his word, of God's glory. And today we're going to look at Jesus being the embodiment of humility. And what does that actually mean for us? That's really great that Jesus was humble. What do I have to do with that? Do I have to do anything with that? Do I have to, in my pursuit of Jesus, do I have to pursue humility? Why should I have to pursue humility? I don't know if you know this, but we live in a world that doesn't necessarily say Hey, to be humble means you're going to be the top dog in the company. Hey, to be humble means that everybody's going to want to be your friend. 
Hey, to be humble means that everyone will look to you and say, you are a social, social media influencer because of the level of humility that you show in your selfie videos that you take every 30 minutes of your day. Humility is not something that culture necessarily takes and says, hey, here's an amazing thing for you to strive towards. Right? In culture, it's always about you do you. You do what you feel is right for you. And if anybody disagrees with you, they're the aggressors. And you, you just continue in your truth, man. Like, you're great. Keep rolling. Yeah, I know that you completely burned everybody behind you when you did this business acquisition. But hey, you know what? It's okay because all of them, maybe they'll find a job one day. But I got a massive payday because it was the right business decision to make even though it took out an entire sector of employees. Again, humility is not something that culture says, hey, pursue this, achieve this, go after this, do this. If anything, it's the opposite. And it's kind of this odd relationship because while culture doesn't um, put up on a pedestal individuals who exhibit a humble life, at the same time, we're still inspired by people who have a humble life, who act in humility towards others, right? Think about the, the uh, footage and reels of like marathon runners, right? And one person's running, they fall down, you know, 10 yards from the finish line. And then another one comes up behind them and like picks them up literally and then like carries them across the finish line and lets them go in front of them. That's a pretty humble thing, right? Head nods, yes, yeah. That's a humble thing, right? And we get inspired by that. We're like, man, look at that example. Look how amazing it is that that person gave up their right to win the race and to beat the other people. They gave that up. They literally picked up another person and got them across the finish line. Why do we not do that in every situation of our life, though? Why do we not do that in every relationship that we have, in every situation we have, whether it's in our families, whether it's in our business, whether it's in our church? Why is it that sometimes we have to wait for the moments where everyone will see us being humble that we actually go and be humble? So if I've made this seem like a daunting task, good. Humility is not something to cover in 35 minutes because you really could spend an entire year just walking through what it is to embrace and to follow Jesus in humility. But I'm going to attempt in 35 minutes to try to explain to us all, let's look at Jesus and let's see what we have to learn, what our mindset has to be, what our position in our minds have to be, and ultimately, how can we be a part of continuing humility in the world? So if you have your Bibles, open up with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 2 is probably one of the more popular, well-known verses that deals with this reality of what it looks like to be humble, what it looks like to have humility in your life. And some context here before we read the passage. The Apostle Paul, most of his letters that we have in the New Testament, all are addressing issues at churches. 
Let me say that again. The majority of the New Testament letters we have from Paul are letters that he's writing to deal with issues of churches. Do churches have issues? Yes. Hopefully, you have leadership in your church that's aware we got issues. I'll be the first. We've got issues. And what Paul is doing, because he shepherds all of these churches that most of them he helped start, he's addressing the issues, not to create perfection, but to remind them, hey, this is not the way of Jesus. Let me show you what the ways of Jesus are. Because as you are a gathered body of believers, it has been reported to me that there are things happening in your church community that doesn't look like the things of Jesus. Here in the book of Philippians, or the letter to the church in Philippi, he's addressing an issue of division. The issue of this disunity that's occurring where people are trying to elevate themselves above others. It's kind of a common theme, too, in a lot of his letters. Paul's always having to address, stop putting other people down in your church, but instead seek out unity in this way. So Philippians chapter 2, let's look what he says, starting at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility... Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what we have here is a little bit of a blueprint guide on how to deal with issues of division, with issues of disunity in the context of the church. And what Paul's doing is he's kind of giving you the principles of it. He's giving you some action steps to it. And he's also giving us, hey, here's the vision and the reason why you should pursue unity as brothers and sisters in Christ. So in your worship bulletin, you'll see the points there for the message. What I'm going to do, I'm going to reverse everything. Okay? Instead of going one, two, three, we're going to go three, two, one. Because I want us to start with the proper vision in perspective of why humility is something that is integral in the life of a believer. Because ultimately, as believers, we are called to follow Jesus's example of humility. We're called to be humble like Jesus was humble. So we have to consider our example. We have to consider Jesus. So who is Jesus? Some random guy that wore nice sandals and a nice robe and walked around and said nice things to people. Is that your view of Jesus? Is that the world's view of Jesus? He was a really great prophet who knew things about Judaism, and he walked around, and he was just very gentle, and he just said, hey, I just want to love everybody. All you got to do is follow me, and I'll love you, and it'll be totally fine. Is that your version of Jesus? When we look in the scriptures, 
some of the things we begin to understand about Jesus. Look at verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but instead emptied himself. So Jesus, part of the triune God, releases his position of authority. Jesus, who was at the beginning of all creation, Jesus, who was there at the foundation of the earth, Jesus, who will be there at the end of the earth, who will bring about the final judgment, Jesus, who will be coming in on a cloud, Jesus, who saw all things, knows all things, hears all things, understands all things, Jesus, being God, chose to release all of it and to come down in the form of a human. Why would Jesus do something like that? Jesus is a divine being. He could have just stayed in heaven and sitting on a majestic throne, and he could have just, I don't know, created like a hologram and said, hey, everybody, I want you to listen to me. I'm Jesus. I'm important. I'm a big deal. Listen to what I say. Or even Jesus' ministry. Why couldn't Jesus have done his ministry in like an angelic presence? Why couldn't if he had come down and just kind of floated around and said all the same things that he had said as a man, why couldn't he have done it in angelic form? Why not? For some reason, Jesus chose to give up all of who he is to take on the form of us. So Jesus, emptying himself of position, of authority, of dominion, of being the master of all things, he releases all of that and comes in the form of a human and is born as an infant, as a vulnerable, dependent, needy, I'll try to stay positive in my adjectives of babies. In the form of a baby. And he grew up. We don't know all the details of his life as a child or teenage years. But he grows up and then he begins his ministry. Now, Jesus giving up all of these things and living the life that he did. The reason why is because of you. It's because he loves you. Not, again, because of any great thing about you. But simply because you are his creation. And God, knowing you, and knowing every detail of your life, and knowing every sin in your life, God says, you deserve to be punished for your sin but you can't handle my punishment. Well, pastor, why, why are you talking about God being a judge and like punishing us? Like God is, God's just, God loves all people and he's just a big teddy bear in the sky and wants all people to feel good about their life and all the decisions that they make. Where does it say that in here? When you read this, is there a standard that God has for life? Yes. The standard is himself. Be like me. Follow my example. 
follow after me. And when you don't, and when you sin, because I love you, I discipline you. I have to correct you. Every loving parent can be defined as a loving parent if they discipline their children. Because you need that correction in your life. Because you are not perfect. So, God knowing that there has to be punishment, God knowing that there has to be judgment, says, but because they cannot handle my wrath and because I love them so much, I am going to send my son who will release his status with me here in heaven, will go to earth, will be both fully man and fully God, so that at the end, once he's accomplished his ministry on earth, I can judge him for Alex's sins. That I can take all of Alex's past, present, and future sins and I can punish Jesus for it. Jesus allows himself to be tortured. He allows himself to be ridiculed. He allows himself to be mocked. He allows himself to be nailed to a cross, which was the most humiliating form of torture in their time. And he does all of it because he says, in order for Alex, in order for you to have a relationship with God, both now and for all eternity, there has to be judgment and there has to be a punishment. And only Jesus, God himself, can endure that punishment. And so Jesus is crucified, but he doesn't stay dead. He defeats death, rises again on the third day, and then he goes to his disciples, and what does he tell them? Go and tell people this good news that I have come, that I have paid the price for their sins. Call them to repentance and have them follow me and have them be obedient to my teachings that I've already taught you and follow me for the rest of your life. Go and tell more and more people, and remember, I will always be with you. All of that started from a place of humility, where Jesus gave up all that he had and all that he knew for you and for me. That's a really high bar for us, right? How do we live our lives in reflection of that? How do we live our lives in a reflection of Jesus being that ultimate example of what it is to be humble? Part of it is we have to consider our mindset. Go with me to back to verses four, three and four. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let me, let me, uh, let's talk about some situations, scenarios. Have you ever been in a business where you and your boss, you're getting along great, your boss is super encouraging, always affirmative of all the things that you do, and then all of a sudden, the affirmation and the encouragement stops, You don't feel encouraged. You don't feel affirmed. You don't really know whether or not your boss likes you anymore. 
Notice Jim left the room. But you find yourself in this place where you're like, what's going on? They used to act a certain way towards me, and now all of a sudden, they're not acting the same way. What's, what's happening? And sometimes our natural response to that is, okay, well, if they're not doing that anymore, I'm not going to reciprocate. I'm not going to continue to encourage them. I'm not going to continue to work hard for them. I'm not going to continue to support them and elevate them in their role. If they're going to act like that, fine, I'm going to act like this. Or maybe, maybe, let's pick on marriages for a minute. Maybe your spouse used to do certain things. They were encouraging. They were inspiring to you. They would motivate you. They would lift you up and encourage you. They would say different things. They would get you different gifts. They would, you know, whatever it may be. But then all of a sudden, it stops. Again, as a human, your natural response is, what's wrong with you? I'm perfect, so I don't know why you stopped making dinner every night. Why won't you give me gifts anymore? Before we got married, you would take me out every week. You would buy me flowers every week. And then you put a ring on my finger. And now you just sit back in your chair and watch the football game. We sometimes have this response of like, hey, they're not doing anything anymore to encourage me or inspire or motivate me. Something's wrong with them. So I'm going to stop too. I'm just not going to reciprocate. You see, I think sometimes what happens with us as humans is we can start to view relationships as transactional. I will serve you if you're serving me. I will encourage you if you encourage me. I will love you if you love me. And we do this with each other in friendships and work relationships and in our marriages. And I think sometimes as believers, we do this with Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I don't see you really blessing me anymore in my life. Hey, Jesus, why are you allowing these hard things to happen in my life? Hey, Jesus, why is it that everything seems to be a struggle right now? Where are the blessings that I had at the very beginning of my relationship with you when everything was fresh and new and exciting? Where did that go? You know what? I'm tired of trying. So I'm just going to I'm just going to coast. I'm just going to let things play out as they may. Have you ever found yourself in that position? Have you ever found yourself in that position of saying like Jesus like what happened in our relationship? Because again, we distinguish between what people do for us versus who the person actually is. Marriage, again, is a great example. You don't marry the person simply for what they do for you. You marry that individual because of who you see them to be. Now, who they are, perhaps it results in action, but the reality is you are attracted to and you commit yourself to not what the spouse does for you, but who they simply are. I've been in too many conversations. My spouse has stopped doing this. I don't know if I really want to be in the relationship in the marriage anymore. Well, hey, why did you get married in the first place? 
Well, because they used to do all these things, and, and now they don't. Again, Jesus looks at us, and he says, yes, I do things, and I provide for you. But our relationship, I want it to be built more on you seeing me for who I am rather than just what I do for you. See me for who I am. See me as the Lord of the universe that came down in humility and served you because I love you. See me as a God, as a supreme and divine being who I have the right to do whatever it is I want to do. But because of my love for you, I was willing to lay all that aside and endure what I did so that you might have freedom in your life. And Jesus looks at you and he doesn't say, okay, because I did all these things, I expect you to return the favor. It's not that approach of, I did this, so now you have to respond in this way. Hopefully, because of our recognition of who Jesus is and our proper mindset, our natural response. Jesus, I see the price you paid. I recognize what you did for me on that cross. I recognize who you are. And because of these truths and realities, I want to do this for you. I want to serve you. I want to obey you. I want to follow you. I want to be like you. When we consider our mindset, you can boil it down to the simple thing of me versus we. The way that you live life, the way that you engage in relationships, the way that you engage in things in this world do you have the mindset, it's all about me? Or do you have a mindset that it's all about us? Now, before you go to the extreme in your mind of like, oh gosh, here's that scary hint of socialism that we see in the Bible. Nobody laughed at that. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for the pity laughs. Before you go down that road, think about it in this way. As believers, if we're called to mimic and imitate Christ who humbled himself and thought of us as more significant than himself in what he did, why then should we do no less? We should be thinking of one another. We should be thinking about how do I serve another? How do I outdo serving one another? How do I consider other people as more significant than myself in this business transaction? How do I consider them as more significant than myself in the way that I use my time with my friends? How do I consider other people as more significant in the way that I consider how I do? And the list can just go on and on and on. Do you think about others instead of just yourself? It's Christmas time. What do we do at Christmas? Thank you. Presents. You are very bold and strong in that response. Right? We give gifts. We give gifts. I am a terrible gift giver. I'm terrible. The reason why I'm terrible, I spend way too much money because I think, oh, okay, well, if I just spend a lot of money, then it'll be a good gift. And I wait till the last minute to buy the gifts, 
which usually causes me to have to pay more money to get it shipped three-day shipping. My last gift comes on Monday, by the way. <laughs> but I've, I've struggled with gift giving for my entire marriage. And what I've had to learn over 16 years of marriage is that my wife finds value and love from are gifts that, number one, cost me time. Time to listen. I've got a notepad on my phone. In every January, I reset the notepad so that anytime she says some kind of mention, we're walking through a store, ooh, I like that. I immediately pull my phone out and take a note or take a photo so that I know the next gift-giving time, I've got some ideas to choose from. So it costs me a lot of time. The other thing that she finds value from, and I'm making assumptions for you, by the way, sweetheart. The other thing she finds value from is that I've thought about where she is in life in that season. Because the gift I can give to her, if she's stressed out in life, me buying her a vacuum, probably not a great idea. <laughs> if she's loving life and she's all excited and she's just gregarious and just everything is great, everything is wonderful and joyful, me buying her a journal to journal her emotions, probably not the right idea. I have to think about what is it that brings value to her? And how is it that I can encourage her and lift her up by the gift I give? And I can really only do that with one person. So if you're expecting gifts from me, you're going to be disappointed. But because of her value and who she is, I'm driven to respond in that way. Jesus, in his value and in his level of considering others as more significant than ourselves, again, is that prime example of how we can and we should live our life. And the last thing we have to do is we have to consider our position. And in order to consider our position, again, look at verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility. Here's the unique thing about humility. When you look in the Old Testament, like the book of Proverbs is chock full of individual verses that deal with the necessity of being a humble person. It's all over the place in Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. And it often says, in order to find wisdom, you must be humble. Then you go to the New Testament. Jesus talks about the humility that is needed. Jesus displays what humility looks like. The Apostle Paul is directly talking about you need to put on, clothe yourself, think about humility. Because again, our nature is not to wake up and be like, I'm going to be humble today. It's going to be amazing how humble I will be. Like that's not our nature. Our nature is... What do I have to do to provide for myself? What do I have to do to protect whatever it is I'm trying to protect? What is it that I have to do to keep myself on the road that I want to go down? And that's why I think the scriptures tell us, and Paul directly is telling us, 
you have to put on humility. It's something like an article of clothing, right? You physically, you have to put this on over you and you have to stay in this place of humility. And there are going to be situations in your life, this is a good evaluation tool, situations like conflict, situations like a big decision that has to be made. The way in which you respond, ask yourself that question. Am I thinking through this? Am I evaluating this? Am I processing this from a place of humility where I'm cognizant and aware of others around me? Or am I only focused on what I will gain and what I need to get from the situation? I'm going to pick on marriages again. There's a great passage in the book of Ephesians that talks about the roles of a wife and the roles of a husband. Some people get a little squirrely when you start talking about it because it says, wives, submit to your husband. Oh, pastor, let's not jump into that, right? But then you go to the next verse. Husbands, love your wives as who? As Christ loved the church. How did Christ love the church? He gave himself up for her so that the church would be elevated, so that the church would be redeemed, so that the church would be presented blameless and spotless. Husbands, as we consider our position, you were meant to wake up every day next to your bride and say, how do I lay down my life and my wants for her today? It's not easy, right? Wow, nobody wanted to affirm that. Okay. <laughs> it's not easy to have to say, I'm going to choose not to do this thing that I want to do. I wasn't going to talk about the Lions, but they already played last night. So, men, you can serve your wives well this afternoon, right? Or how about on the drive home and you're ready and you're about to walk in your door and you walk in and you've got, you know, let's say you've got toddlers. What is your initial reaction when you see the toddlers running around the house? I can't wait to get down on the floor and play with you guys. It's so exciting. <laughs> Please leave me alone. I've had a stressful day. Here's an iPad. Go over there and just be like, go over there. I'm going to go sit over here in my room. Now, sometimes, sometimes you do need a mental break. But, men, what would it look like for you in that commute home from your workplace to your home to put on humility? It's been a heck of a day. I'm tired. I'm stressed out. But I know that when I walk into that door, I have to be available to my family. God, I need your help in humility, to walk through that door and serve my wife and my kids well. Side note, don't walk in the door and be like, hey, babe, just to let you know, I prayed for humility, and I'm going to serve tonight, so I'm humble. That's not how it goes. But I think what happens, again, um, I totally got sidetracked. Um, for men, we have such a high calling if you're married, if you're a husband, you have a high calling. 
if you are a father, you have a high calling to mimic Jesus to your wife and to your kids. And it starts with humility. Modern day culture, a humble man is a weak man, right? If you're a humble man in today's culture, you're weak. There's something wrong with you. Was Jesus weak? Like when Jesus was doing his ministry, did he walk around in the cities and be like, hey, like religious leaders, um, I just, man, like I love you guys so much. And, um, but man, I really, I just really got to tell you something like your perspective is wrong. And like, I, I want you to hear me. Like, I want you to feel validated in your beliefs, but they're just wrong. And so I just humbly, like, I just want you to hear that you're wrong. Is that how Jesus acted with people? No. Jesus went into a temple and would start flipping tables and say, you brood of vipers, what is wrong with you? You've completely missed everything that my father has said. Listen. And he does that from a place of humility. So don't go into your workplace tomorrow and start flipping tables and be like, humbly, I'm going to tell you, boss, that you're wrong. Like, don't, don't be that person. But I'm just talking, I'm just kind of honing in on the men this morning. Don't be afraid to be a humble man because there's power, there's strength, there's fortitude, and it's you being like Jesus who you consider others more important than yourself and you're willing maybe to say the hard words and the hard truths to people, but you're willing to serve them. So as followers of Jesus, for both men and women, young and old, as we look at Jesus being that perfect example of what it is to be humble, this Christmas, reflect. Ask the Lord. You want to be really bold and courageous? Ask the people really close to you. Hey, do you think I'm a humble person? You really want to be bold, ask your spouse. But allow God to reveal to you, here's some places where maybe you lack humility because you don't allow people to touch this part of your life or because you don't think about others when you make decisions or because, and the list can go on. And again, the reason that the encouragement is there to do that is not to beat you up and not to say, look, how, un, how prideful you are. The goal is to be able to look at Jesus and say, as I'm celebrating you this Christmas, I see your humility and I want to be like you because you value others, because you gave up things for the sake of others, and I want to be like you to this world, that that is the complete opposite expectation. So as you sing the Christmas carols, as you celebrate by giving gifts, hopefully thoughtful ones, as you experience all that comes with Christmas, let's remember Jesus incarnate, God becoming flesh and God being with us, and how he provides for us 
what it looks like to be a humble individual in this world. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for just your example. It's not really anything that you said. It was just more of what you did in giving up your rights and giving up your status and stature and giving up these things so that we might have a relationship with you both now and for all eternity. And thank you, God, that your love for us is not dependent on how great we are at following you. Thank you that your love for us is not dependent on how many times we choose holiness over our sin. Thank you, Jesus, that you just simply, you love us and that you call us to a higher standard than what we can think. And God, I pray for all of us this Christmas season as we truly think about this gift that came through you, that it would cause us just to take note of the blessings we have in our life and that we would truly look at you and to say thank you. So Father, be with us in our hearts and our minds as you search us, as you examine us, as you call out any wayward way within us so that we can be more and more like you so that our world could see more and more of you. Thank you for Christmas. Thank you for coming in the form of a baby that we can celebrate you in this gift we've received. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. As you contemplate, as you pray, I wanna invite you to stand and we sing. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.